Welcome back to the Anchor Room, guys. This is Pete Buled, and I'm here with Rigo Herrera, who brought the message this week. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really powerful message, Rigo. Thanks for that. did a wonderful job. And so we're going to actually turn the tables today as we uh, do this Anchor Room podcast. And I'm going to actually interview Rigo. Typically, he's interviewing me, but it's my time to interview you. Take a seat back or a step back, whatever you (laughs) say. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to be at the reins today. Um, And I I just thought it'd be a a great opportunity for us to to dig a little bit more into the nature of... uh, what you shared about and kind of go a little bit autobiographical on your journey and experience. Um, but I, I have an icebreaker for you first. All right. Okay, so we're in a pandemic and sometimes our options are limited of what we can do. And, mm. and if you had an afternoon where you could do anything anywhere, where would you go and what would you do? Does uh finances factor into this? You like, have a blank check. Okay, great. Well, that is super easy for me because um, I really, I've been really enjoying the outdoors mm-hmm. and oddly enough, I know I'm not the only millennial who feels this, but I miss traveling. Mm. And so I think if I had a blank check and there was no pandemic, I would love to visit the highlands of Scotland again. Just for an afternoon. You just for got, an afternoon. Yeah. Afternoon. Okay. Blank All check, right. you know, blank check, you know, <laughs> afternoon. Just go out there and, uh, yeah, go out on a little hike, see the beautiful rolling mountains, mm. and uh, just kind of be far away for a bit, connecting mm-hmm. with nature and God, and then come back home in time for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a mountain guy, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I mountains think over so. ocean? Absolutely, yes, uh, oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, you're losing all of our Virginia Beach folk right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, but, but don't worry, Virginia Beach folk. I am coming. All right. I, so if I had <laughs> yeah, what my afternoon, you? I could go anywhere and do anything. It would start uh, on a golf course. I'd probably play nine holes. Of okay. Golf. okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I would go to the Caribbean <laughs> or someplace yeah. with turquoise water just yeah. beautiful water there's something mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. for my soul when i look yes. at really clear beautiful waters yeah. and i would uh snorkel around and see the teeming fish i've mm. often said if i could if i had had an atheist that i was trying to share about um yeah about god with and could do anything with with that person uh-huh. i would take them snorkeling for a half hour <laughs> and the reason is is because when you or maybe they're scuba divers. We could scuba yeah, dive. Yeah. But when you see the beauty under uh, the waters that we don't get to see normally, yeah. it it's it's so magnificent. I remember the first time I ever saw it. Yeah. I was like, "This just de- declares the glory of God mm. because it's so unnecessary. We don't see it. You know, it's like, but but you <laughs> That's so you, true, you yeah. stick your head into this new world and it's teeming with mm. life and color and glory and mm. it's like a powerful mm-hmm. religious experience for me yeah. like the the oceans declare the glory of mm-hmm. god um so that's what yeah. i would do. yeah yeah that's that's actually uh pretty cool it's been on my bucket list to snorkel mm. and before the pandemic kind of broke out uh, early last fall uh, my wife and i were actually considering a trip to costa rica to kind of get a little bit of yeah. that in there and celebrate my 30th birthday okay. but you know, best I could do was pizza and a movie. 
<laughs> so here hashtag we go. Hashtag pandemic life. Yeah, hashtag saving a little more, you know. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get to it eventually. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Rigo, I, I really appreciated your message this Monday um, yeah, looking thanks. at the powerful implications of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Yeah. Um, that the vision of of the people of God that we get specifically mm-hmm. in Revelation 5, Revelation 7, and, and again and again in Revelation, culminating um, with pictures of the nations coming into the city of God mm-hmm. in, at the end of the book, which we'll talk about later in this semester. Um, and and I, I, I just really thought you did a wonderful job talking about the global nature and mm-hmm. the diverse nature of mm-hmm. the kingdom that mm-hmm. we are in. And... Um, and then the three points about how do we live this out? Mm-hmm. We worship together, yeah. We hope together, right. and we reign together. And you, mm-hmm. of course, um, expounded on each of those in ways that were very, um, very meaningful. Mm. And I thought we would spend this podcast talking a little about your own story. Um, mm. You talked a little bit in the message about how you immigrated from Honduras mm-hmm. uh, to New Orleans and yeah. lived in New Orleans, and then you went to a Spanish-speaking church yes. and never really went to an English-speaking church <laughs> until you went to college. And yeah. so I, I would like to just dive into your story sure. and li- have you share your journey a little bit with us, mm-hmm. and I thought that would be a, a meaningful way to spend this podcast. And and in the process, learn a bit, a little bit how God reveals His will to us, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, and so on. So, I would love to hear um, what was surprising to you when you started in the English speaking church. Most people <laughs> who are listening have only experienced the English speaking church. Yeah, this so, is true. So, what were those things yeah. that were really surprising, or, right. or full of consternation for you? Yeah. So, pretty easy for me right off the bat. One of the things that I realized about uh, American churches. And by American, I mean predominantly white churches, is that they start on time and they end on time. Mm. And that was just not the case for my church growing up. Um, I went to a series of probably like my, my church was about maybe 50 to 100 people. And, you know, I guess there's a high value on community. And so, yeah. you know, we had church services Saturday night. That was another difference. I don't know. I don't think there's any like theological Uh, or doctrinal position on that. I think it was just what worked best for families as Sunday tends to be more of like a rest day for many Latinos who are often laborers. And so Mm -hmm. they need, you know, a a good amount of rest on Sunday before they start a very laborious, physically laborious work uh, for the week. And so, yeah, Saturday nights, church service was scheduled for seven. It often began around 8 p.m. Okay. (laughs) And um, it was open-ended as to when it would end. So Mm -hmm. anywhere between maybe 10 to, I don't know, 1030. I I can't remember um, often, but so when I started attending uh, English American uh, churches in uh, uh, specifically in college, because there, I was away from home. I didn't know mm-hmm. what the Latino community was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized, well, they're all on Sunday. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they meet early. They start on time and they end on time. And so that was refreshing to me because it felt like my morning or my entire day wasn't all about church. And so that in some ways, or I mean the church service experience, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And so in some ways that appealed to me because I I guess I had I realized I had more time to like have community after church like go go out to lunch with my my friends and 
Um, and then, hey, even do homework <laughs> and all these other things. And so that was a very stark comparison. Course, then you learned about Sabbath and not doing homework <laughs> on the Sabbath. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was always faithful to that in college, yeah. And then I would probably say the other thing is just our, the music styles. Mm. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went to a very uh, charismatic church um, growing up. And so worship was always very lively. You know, you mm-hmm. had people would bring tambourines. There'd be mm-hmm. a lot of percussion instruments, mm-hmm. a lot of clapping, um, dancing, very expressive physically. Right. And uh, when I began going to um, uh, American churches, it was often more tame and mm-hmm. uh, more, you know, like people wouldn't maybe raise their hands half as high, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that was also kind of an adjustment for me as well. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, those are probably two two of the big things for well, sure. <laughs> you know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the beauty of some of those things that you experienced in the yeah. Spanish speaking church of that how communal it was, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That you would wait on brother so and so or sister so and so to arrive before you got started. Right. Of how um, that communal nature, that relationships were more important than efficiency. Yes, there and, definitely. And of course, you know, in um, <laughs> The, the English-speaking churches, efficiency, you know, <laughs> seemed to... to right. and, and there's something good about, Absolutely. you know, predictability, right? Yeah. But there's also a certain value of the how relationships matter that mm-hmm. you were taught in, in that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the power of engaging our emotions in our faith, right? That, yeah. that, that you learned in, right. in worship and those Spanish-speaking churches. And, and um, sometimes we uh, feel like um, that... We want to engage our minds, but we're not sure if we should yeah, engage our emotions. Right. And and so, I mean, I think these are just um, ways that we can learn from yeah. the, the Spanish-speaking church, right? The Bible mm-hmm. says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mm-hmm. soul, mm-hmm. mind, and strength. Yeah. And so it's not just emotional, mm-hmm. but our, but yeah, that really um, wholehearted yeah. participation in right. worship. You know, you, you, you grew up in that, and... Yeah, um, definitely. And, you know, and oftentimes it was more of a physical <laughs> reaction than a mindful worship, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I began uh, associating with these cir- with these English-speaking circles, I was exposed to hymns. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that my church... I mean, hymns are translated in many languages, but my mm-hmm. church tradition didn't often uh, sing hymns just mm-hmm. because of, you know, the nature of my tradition. And so when I started listening to hymns and, and reading about you know, these very intentionally thought out yes. songs that like mm-hmm. proclaim very deep biblical truths. Like it, it was a way for me to engage with my mind mm-hmm. in a worshipful mm-hmm. environment that I often didn't get to do much. And and right. that and that's not to be indicative of all Latino culture, but just my personal experience. And so like when, as I began engaging my mind with my worship, you know, that was a really neat experience for me. Um, and to grow in my worship style, and I guess diversify my worship style a bit. You sure, know? sure. So, so then, yeah, you were able to learn the the glory of engaging our mind with the beautiful truths <laughs> of, of Scripture. Yeah. I'm reminded in John four, where it says um, that we should worship Him in spirit and in mm-hmm. truth, right? right. And yeah, that those two th- realities coming together is a, a very mm-hmm. powerful thing. And so, um, yeah, I'm, you know, there's great value in each of the cultures that you've experienced. Um, and, and I think that's a lesson in of itself that each culture and the way, um, they enter into worship of Mm -hmm. Jesus within that culture 
um, has something that we can learn and grow yes. um, in and from. And so uh, that, yeah. that's beautiful. Um, I, I'd like to have you shared a little bit um, of how did you discern God's call into ministry? Mm-hmm, and so what mm-hmm. was your journey? You're in college, you're studying communications, you're at LSU. Yeah. Uh, I assume you're a first-generation college student, yes, yeah. know, an immigrant family. And mm-hmm. um, I would love to hear um, how you started to discern God's call into vocational ministry, mm-hmm. and then how your ethnicity and your culture played into that. What um, unique aspects of navigating that did you experience? Yeah. Well, I think I, I began feeling the call into ministry after participating on a short-term mission trip with uh, my Chi Alpha at LSU. And that's mm-hmm. why I like every year for me, mission trips are a highlight of what mm-hmm. we do here at UVA. I love uh, getting to be a part of that and, and just seeing, you know, students called into ministry through that or, yeah, or yeah. their lives radically changed to consider, you know, right. what their part to play in ministry right. and missions is, whether they go or they send. And so, yeah, I went on this uh, mission trip to, um, uh, South Africa. It was the farthest away I've ever been from home. It's a long way. It's a long way. You know, I've been on many plane rides before cl- across the Gulf, but not across the Atlantic and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three different continents. And so uh, for me, that was really neat because I started to see the global uh, hand of God, like God at work mm-hmm. in Africa while, you know, mm-hmm. the w- the Western hemisphere was, you know, asleep, so to, so to say. Mm-hmm. And that really, and just to see the need, you know, across the nations and, and, and to be honest, like I didn't really start, uh, after that, I started processing what that meant for me and my life. And, Mm -hmm. and it was a time and journey where my faith and, and God was growing as I was living a more Christ centered life and diving deep into my devotional time and growing in community Mm -hmm. through my Chi Alpha and slowly, I, slowly but repeatedly, I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of knocking the door of my heart and and maybe just planting uh, vision. Not, I don't want to sound too mystical, but sure. desires, so to speak, yes. or a heart, you know. Yes. And I remember after coming back from that trip and then that next semester, like I found myself hearing many sermons on missions and weeping, like crying. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that wasn't just something I did all the time or I do mm-hmm. to this day. Like mm-hmm. I, th- but there was, God was doing something within me to stir me up for missions and to where I had to begin to ask a question, what does this mean for me? Yeah. Because I had this plan going into college as a, as a first generation college, um, student. Um, no one in my family had gone to a flagship university. Sure. As far as I was concerned, I was a trailblazer right. for like all my family and so I, I came to college with this plan of attaining the American dream. Mm-hmm. So that meant getting a degree, finding a good job, earning as much money as you can, and go far, farther than your your immigrant parents came. Right. And so, and one of the reasons why they may have come here absolutely, was to give yes, you that opportunity. exactly. And so I, I was even carrying that burden, right? The burden mm-hmm. of this what they gave up in their native country right. for me to have this opportunity. And so I'm weighing, you know, the American dream next to this dream I feel that God is beginning to give me. Mm. And it was a process of about two years where I was going almost back and forth. I had a job offer. Mm. Um, I would work for a newspaper in, in the summers, a bilingual newspaper in New Orleans. Okay. 
and they had guaranteed a position for me. And I mean, I, I could have had it made, so to speak, right. you know, and I just felt like it was so clear that God was saying I could use you in missions, in ministry. Mm. And, and for me, that had a couple of implications. Like, first of all, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm the most qualified for this. And second of all, I've never seen anyone like me, my color, mm-hmm. necessarily my background, go into ministry. When I look at, at campus ministry, I don't exactly see many people my color either. Right. And so in a lot of ways, it was an act of faith, but I felt very confident that God was leading me into this and that he would provide, you know, that because that was a big question. Sure, sure. Um, so I said yes to ministry. I put my degree aside. I, I said no to the job offer. Mm. And yeah, I, I began this ministry of, of this journey of, of working in campus ministry. And um, yeah, I think my family at first was supportive, but <laughs> they had doubts and concerns sure. and, you know. Um, but yeah, it was it was a journey. Um, but I, I think, yeah, the Lord was faithful through it all. Yeah. Amen. Well, let me just share a little bit what I hear, just kind of yeah. to pull out some principles. One, I hear that um, that God began to give you new desires. Yes. And um, that there was something being birthed in your heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible talks about how the Lord will give us the desires of our heart. And that isn't yeah. just fulfill those desires, but that can be he downloads desires mm-hmm. into our heart so then he can fulfill those desires. Yeah. And oftentimes people say, well, how do you know God's will? And and I, I always tell people, you can um, look at the desires that God has put in your heart, right. and you can trust your desires to the, the degree that your heart is sanctified. Right Now, if your heart isn't sanctified, meaning set apart for Him, then those desires may not be trustworthy, yeah. right? But as your uh, heart is being sanctified and set apart for Him, then He's going to be able to form your heart. And so He was putting these desires and these passions in mm-hmm. your heart, and yeah. a burden even, right? Yeah. And I remember whenever I was wrestling with if I was called into ministry, my uncle was asking me what I was thinking. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I have a desire for it, but yeah. I don't know if that's what the Lord wants. And I remember him saying, or maybe I said, I have a burden for it, but mm. I don't know if that's what he wants. He said, well, in my understanding, burden is a lot of it, mm-hmm. of yeah. the call. And so it sounds like the Lord right. was putting this specific burden into your heart and desire into your heart. And then it was a period of time that it kind of... It kept coming back, right? Mm-hmm. And so that, that that gives a sense of it wasn't just one moment. Right. Obviously, it can start in a moment, no. but yeah. it, had, it had a long tail <laughs> to it, right? It, it kept, yeah. It kept, uh, you know. I actually have a funny story about that. And, you know, I mentioned I would go to services and, like, for some reason, it would be a missions service. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And then one time we had this missionary from China come to speak at my Kyle. I'd never met this person before. And like, you know, like I said, I wasn't the type of guy that broke down at every message, mm-hmm. but she was talking about, you know, stories of God using her, you know, preaching the gospel to unreached peoples in China. And I was just bawling. Mm. I just could not stop crying. Mm. I just could not control it. It was like, I felt this stirring in my heart. And, uh, she shared a story about, um, sharing the gospel to someone on their deathbed and them like accepting Jesus and being miraculously healed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember like, I just, I couldn't stay in the room. As soon as she finished, like I didn't even stay for the end of worship. I just left and I called my mom and mm-hmm. I'm weeping and I'm tear, I'm sobbing. And like, this is so 
like non-typical for mm. me. My mom was freaking out. She was like, what's going on? Like, are you on drugs or whatever? <laughs> but I was like, mom, someone's dying right now. And she's like, what do you mean someone's dying? Who's dying? <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no, no. Someone's dying right now and they need to hear the gospel. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was just this burden that I was trying mm-hmm. to communicate to mm-hmm. my mom yeah. And and I think that was a moment where I guess a first moment where she began to see that like no this was like something that God was birthing in my heart mm-hmm. for my future mm-hmm. and you know. So look I haven't had many other moments like that <laughs> since yeah. then but yeah, yeah like you said it was a moment where the yeah. Lord was you know Absolutely. changing desires. Yeah. And the other thing I hear in your story Rigo is um how you had to embrace that his kingdom isn't just a kingdom of all peoples, tongues, nations, right, mm-hmm. and tribes, um, but it is a kingdom that calls all people, tongues, yeah, and nations, and absolutely. tribes. absolutely. This isn't monopolized by one culture. You know, oftentimes yeah. we think about Westerners sending missionaries to the East or to yeah. Africa, um, but the the call is not a ethnocentric reality. Absolutely this is a not. kingdom yeah. reality, and the yeah. kingdom is diverse. And so the point is, is... Um, he wants to call people from all backgrounds. And one yeah. of the beautiful things with Live Dead, which we partner mm-hmm. with, um, which is a, an organization that sends missionaries to unreached people groups, is that uh, they partner with, with multi-ethnic uh, mm-hmm. workers yeah. around the world. And so you'll have a team that has um, people from America, people from yeah, Argentina, people right. from uh, different countries in Europe, and, yes. and so on. And so... and the Africans uh, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. South Americans and Chinese and Indians mm-hmm. and um, Russians and Europeans and Americans are all called yeah, into this. Right. And th- this picture of that, this call is for every yeah. tongue, tribe, nation, people. In other words, God wants to um, use us all on the front line, right. whether it be vocationally or whether it, it, it be in different um, aspects of uh, wherever we are at. But I just, I think that's such a, your story is a beautiful picture that I, I think is a, a hopefully really affirming and a great mm. uh, encouragement to um, to people who come from other cultures right. and backgrounds that, um, that yeah. they are key yeah. in the kingdom. And, and, you know, I couldn't say that I understood that when mm. I said yes to the call. Mm-hmm. I think that part was like, the the faith journey where mm. I just had a trust in what God was doing and what God was leading me yeah. into, because I can't an- I can't practically answer all those practical ministry questions, you know, at face value. Like, where am I going to get this money? Right. You know, am I the only one, the only brown person in this, you know, white ministry or whatever? Can I make a difference and all this stuff, you know? And and but yet God had a plan because He right. needs. He he's calling people of every tribe, every nation, every tongue to be uh, to reign in his kingdom that's right. and to have power, yes. authority, and, and a role to play. Yes, and and that's something beautiful that I've discovered as the longer I've 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 been able to remain in ministry by God's grace. By the way, it's not because of you know like I always boast about my weakness, but you know, and with, through God's power, He's the one who's able to sustain me in ministry and people like me in ministry. Um, because it is his will that we would all be around the throne and giving testimony to the one on the throne. And um and and, it, and I've just been, you know, so privileged to 
continue on and and see God's hand of provision upon my life in in some way in and miraculously at times when I don't know mm-hmm. where you know the money's going to come from or you mm-hmm. know like if I'm even cut out to be you know there's a lot of uh, existential questions that you go through as a minority when mm-hmm. you have that minority experience when you already feel like a second class citizen mm-hmm. you know to all all of a sudden like try to wrap your mind around this narrative where you know no you are a key a key character in this story mm-hmm. like that's a that's a hard pill to swallow at times mm. when your life experience hasn't shown you that narrative and so mm. through the kingdom eyes right as as you as you reveal ultimate re- as Jesus reveals ultimate reality to you he says no you are uh, you do have a place to uh, a role to fit in this story and I am calling you and I will equip you I will send you and I will provide for you and you know it's it's a big testimony of faith that you must have um, in this journey, but there's just no other way around it. You know, yeah. we're all called. And I can also just say this, Rigo, um, that you, who you are is a gift to mm-hmm. our ministry and to mm-hmm. your ministry that God has for you. Yeah, in other thanks. words, I, and I know we've had conversations about this personally, but you have said, how does God want to leverage who he's made me to yeah, be for right. his kingdom? And and I've watched you over the years um, walk in that and yeah. discover that that um, that uh, it's actually a, a gift mm-hmm. to have um, your background for your ministry mm-hmm. and a gift to the entirety of our ministry mm-hmm. um, and a gift to our community, but also a gift to his kingdom. Yeah, and so um, it goes from like, could God call me from right. my background to, wow, I ha- have a unique role that I can play in his kingdom because mm-hmm. of my background. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to somebody else about this recently. I'm like, um, what a gift you are, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that um, I- I've seen the Lord play that out in your life. And I just yeah. want to encourage people, whatever their story is, wherever Absolutely. their background is, that um, that God wants to use that. Yes, definitely. And that is de- and that is something that at times we have to hold on to in faith, mm. right? In the midst of, I mean, we, we can just look around at what our country is going through, right? Mm-hmm. And the narratives we hear, and we just have to hold on in faith and trust that God will leverage who we are it made in his image mm-hmm. for his kingdom and that mm-hmm. it will give glory to Amen. him. Even at, even if at times it seems peculiar how he does that, but he will do it. And, yeah. um, and that's just for me, you know, like I mentioned on, on Monday that it is the revelation really is one of the most hopeful places I turn to in scripture mm-hmm. because it's not because we, I live my life presently based off of what, where I see God's history going towards. Yes. And w- if I know where, th- where how the story's going to end, it helps me live presently knowing Amen. if I need to endure, if I need to have hope, or how I need to reign on this mm-hmm. side of eternity. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is just such a hopeful message to hold on to that I'm just so glad we're talking about this and we've yeah. had, you know, the opportunity to even spend time in this book. Um, it's been really great. Cool. Well, Rigo, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And thank you for being you and yeah, being obedient. Yeah. When you were a, a student at LSU who had other plans 
whose (laughs) family had other expectations for what you would do, that you're obedient to God and to his call, and Mm. we are blessed for it, and he's taking care of you. And um, I know your family is is blessed by your obedience as well. And I just want to say thank you, and uh, yeah, thanks for that beautiful picture of how when we live in light of where history is going, as God is, is where history is going under God's mm-hmm. rule, um, that we can live in that today. That's a, yeah. a beautiful Amen. picture. So, yeah. well, thank you, Rigo. And yeah. uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off from the anchor room. And so uh, may God bless you this week as you follow Jesus. We will see you soon.